Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The LSU Tigers bounce back in a big way with a convincing win over Northwestern State in their next last midweek game of the regular season. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns, well, after getting a sweep at ULM, they get roughed up a little bit over at the Love Shack in Ruston. How do you feel about the word penultimate? I'm sorry? You could have used penultimate. What do you think about that word? I've heard people on both sides of that debate recently, so that's why I bring it up. I think it's a record to interrupt you at 6.04, but I just I, I really I, wanted to know it, your opinion on it. I didn't even get to the intro of the show. I just wanted to know your, thought, your thoughts on that word. <laughs> Is that your way of not wanting me to discuss the Raging Cajuns getting... Well, you'd gotten through that part. Roughed up a little bit. By I cut the, you off probably it. on McNeese, which is on me, because Cowboys got a good win last night. Uh, they, they did get a quality win last night. You, you of course, obviously, your your feelings about Lake Chuck is coming through once again as you decide to cut them off. Yes, McNeese got themselves a win against Nichols, the best team in the Southland Conference, even though it doesn't count for conference standings. But we're getting closer and closer to midweek action being wrapped up. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Of course, I'm joined here inside the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette by a man who likes to throw out big, fancy $5 words, Dawson Iserlo, the producer extraordinaire. Good morning, sir. How would you use that word to describe our show or describe us? Could you use that word to do so? Well... You wouldn't want the show to be the penultimate show because that means we're about to run out of shows. <laughs> no, so no, that'd be that'd be that'd be that'd be tomorrow will lot. be the penultimate show of the week. Will it be? Yeah, because it'll be the one before the last oh, one. See, see, there we yeah. go. All right. See, I knew I hired you for a reason. You made us smarter. We do have a good show lined up for you today. We promise. We're going to talk NASCAR with our guy, Toby Christie, from tobychristie.com. I'm going to be talking all things Vermillion and White with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and the Mad Dog returns, columnist for Tiger Details to talk all things LSU. Those are our guests that were lined up. We have our foodie poll question of the week. We have NBA playoffs to get to, and of course, those Houston Astros. Poll question will be unveiled later, but it's a controversial one. I'll just say that. It is. It is. It is. There's only one correct answer, by the way, for this poll question. Just to let you know. Just to let you know. There's was, that took me a minute, but now I yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> there's there's only one. There's only one. But let's start off with the action on the diamond. Some uh worry yesterday that with the storm systems coming through the state of Louisiana that we may not get these actual games in, but we're able to do so. We'll start off with LSU. Losing 2-3 to Auburn, falling to number 2 in the rankings. 
and they took their frustrations out on poor Northwestern State. The fighting Jamie Greens had no chance. 14-4 victory for the Tigers. Uh, They hit back-to-back home runs for the first time since 2019. When they accomplished that feat against Ole Miss. You were wanting to tell me something? Go ahead. It's okay. It wasn't it wasn't worth the timing of when I tried to say it, so we'll just move on. This is we were strong start to today's show. Strong start to today's show. Oh man. NSU jumps out early in this game, one nothing, but credit LSU plates three runs in the second, seven in the third, and then they add another one in the fifth, three more in the in the sixth on their way to the 14-4 victory. They hold NSU to only four hits on four runs. They score 14 runs themselves. It was a good day at the plate. They blasted a total of four home runs Tuesday night. Yeah, what I was saying is you said back-to-back, but it was back-to-back-to-back. You missed that third back, and it was just, you know. Like I do sometimes with saying WWW. Yeah, that's for a website a address. times. Yeah, and, uh, now, on that, in that case, I, I usually let it go because I think people understand what you're saying. This time, it might have just been a little bit confusing, so I just wanted to clarify. Thank you, bud. Thank you. Game ended on a mercy rule there in the seventh inning. It was LSU's 13th run rule victory of the season. They improved to 38 and 10 on the year while NSU drops to 25 and 21. In this scenario, because NSU got thumped, that spells bad news for McNeese if you use the Kevin Foot logic because Northwestern State hosts McNeese next. Correct? Isn't that how he goes about? Yeah, this? I think he adds a caveat that he doesn't apply the rules to college baseball. It's a pro baseball thing, but you know. It is what it is. He uses it when it's convenient to use it. So. <laughs> LSU launched the three home runs and three straight plate appearances, as D'Lo alluded to. Tommy White got things started there in the bottom of the second, then Cade Beloso, who's had a very nice season, kind of under-the-radar season for LSU, and then catcher Hayden Travinsky. First time they hit back-to-back-to-back home runs since 2019. And they were well on their way for another dominant midweek performance. They started Thatcher Hurd. He earned the win. He worked the first two and a third innings, allowed one run on one hit with two walks and five strikeouts. Blake Money and Bucknum came in to hold them to two earned runs over three hits on the final four and two-third innings of work. That's not a bad performance by Thatcher Hurd. He still walks way too many guys. It's not as if Northwestern State has, you know, the 1929 Yankees coming to the plate. Shouldn't be walking them so much. But it's a midweek game against a team from the Southland Conference. You, you lost two or three over the weekend on the road, on the plains. It's a bounce-back game. They're going to be back in action this coming weekend for a three-game set against the Mississippi State Bulldogs, who are driving the struggle bus. They and Ole Miss are rotating who drives the struggle bus in the SEC this year. And these are the last two teams that won national titles. It just goes to show you, things can change in a hurry. 
on the diamond. LSU gets the midweek win. UL got the sweep over the weekend over the ULM Warhawks. They stayed up in the I-20 corridor because they had to make the short trip over to Ruston to take on Louisiana Tech, a team they already defeated. But this time it was in Ruston. They're at the Love Shack. And the Cajuns got roughed up. Lose 12-8. Louisiana Tech is not good this year. With the win, the don't call us lady texters are now 25-25 and 25 on the season. See, I lost to a mediocre team. Now, for the Cajuns, does that matter? No, because they weren't going to be an at-large team anyway, and they have everything in front of them for conference play, which is a three-game set against Texas State this weekend at the Teague and then on the road next week at Southern Miss, right? So those are the games that really are important because it all is about the Sunbelt Conference standings, positioning themselves to be a top six seed or a top four seed for the conference tournament in Montgomery, where they'll play the tournament at the home of the Biscuits. But not a great effort by the Cajuns. They played a run in the first, then they played another run in the second. You're thinking, oh, okay, they're on their way. They're up two to nothing. Well, they give up four in the bottom of the second and then give up two in the bottom of the third. They fight back. You're like, hey, Cajuns. They tie that bad boy up in the fifth and the sixth inning, scoring four in the fifth, one in the sixth, and then they score another one in the seventh. And you're like, hey, there it is. They're going to win this ball game. Didn't have their best stuff, but they got this, right? They got this. They're up eight to six heading to the bottom of the seventh. And then they inexplicably give up five runs to a, at best, mediocre Louisiana Tech team. Gross. Well, it was, you know, I wouldn't say that, that Matt X didn't manage to win the game, but this is your classic example of he's trying to see which guys he can count on in the conference tournament and beyond. And he threw some guys that he wouldn't probably throw in high leverage situations otherwise, and they struggled. Jerry Couch struggled. Uh, now, Blake Marshall is a guy who he's used in some big spots. He struggled as well. Um, Christie wasn't great at the very beginning, but, of course, you recovered from that. And yes. um, it was just about just about some guys who didn't have it on the mound. They swung the bats well. They played pretty good defense, made just the one error. So um, If you get 15 hits and score eight runs, you should win the game. Right. And, and again, I, I think if this is a week now we can't do that because it's a game that counts, but I think if this is a weekend game, you, you obviously see the rotation used a little bit differently. Now, is the fact that some of those guys that you thought maybe you'd be counting on at this point in the season, those guys giving up big-time runs, is that good? No, but no. I think it's, uh, it's at least Coach Deggs probably has a good idea of the guys he's counting on, the guys he's not moving forward. I think last night was, again, we mentioned it with the midweek games, that's one of his last chances to do something like that because he's not going to do that against Texas State and Southern Miss. He's going to pitch his best guys to try to win the game. So um, it was a little bit. It's interesting too because we saw him say the you know the, the tournament approach in the past, like in the past couple of weeks, that every game was going to be tournament approach. Didn't Correct. feel like that was the case last night. He threw some guys that he probably wouldn't have thrown if he. Felt it was like a he classic case of okay, this game in the grand scheme of things doesn't matter. Yeah, and there's so we're going to yeah. see what we got. 
and give guys an opportunity to prove that they can be part of what we're going to do at the conference tournament. Right, and there's still that outside chance of the RPI getting heroically helped, but that would take, mm. again, a, an unbelievable effort against two of the best teams in the conference. Even though he struck out twice, Max came up big, had the home run, right? He's starting to kind of come into form, which is a good sign for the Cajuns. DeBarge had two hits in this ball game. John Taylor had three. I'd like to see Carson be at a nice click. C.J. Willis in his hometown had a couple of hits, but it was the the guys they threw. They threw eight different pitchers last night, and you had five different ones give up at least one run. So it was a total team effort of leaving pitches over the plate where you shouldn't across the board so Cajuns drop now they'll gear up for what's really important for them and that of course is a three-game set against Texas State they could do themselves a big-time favor if they could at least win that series then they put themselves in a position a great position for the conference tournament no matter what happens at Southern Miss the following week and finally McNeese, the Cowboys. They took two or three at home against Lamar over the weekend. Their final conference series is going to be on the road at Northwestern State. So they had a midweek contest, their next to last one, against Nichols. Now, part of this, I've been asked, I'll explain, because of how they reshuffled the conference at the last minute with Incarnate Word deciding to return to the conference Lamar leaving after one year to come back, right? This is why we have these weird things in the schedule. I've been told that this will be fixed moving forward where Nichols and McNeese won't have to play each other in a midweek game late in the season. And we also won't have McNeese closing out the regular season with a three-game set against Miami of Ohio. Do you think you would want a conference series there in your final series of the year but I digress Cowboys take care of the Colonels McNeese scores seven runs in the final two innings including four in the top of the ninth as they rallied from a 3-0 deficit to defeat Nichols 7-3 down in Thibodeau for a midweek non-conference baseball game McNeese improves to 31 and 16 on the year Nichols falls to 28 and 19 Trailing 3-0 going into the eighth. The late game rally started with Ben David. He walked to start the inning. Eventually found himself on third with two outs when Josh Leslie put McNeese on the board with a two-run blast, his seventh of the season, and tying him for the team lead. Then Trey Oberon, the third, followed with a single, advanced a second on a throwing error by the Nichols catcher. Then Brad Burkle got a RBI single, which scored Oberon to tie the game up at 3-3 before the Colonels were able to escape the inning. So they tied the game all with two outs. That's some impressive battling at the plate there. And then Minis in a wild final inning, goes ahead and then scores their rest of their runs in the ninth inning. Once again, Scored all their runs in the eighth and ninth inning for the win. That lineup, it is dangerous. 
it is absolutely dangerous. Cowboys get the win, and then they'll wrap up their conference slate this weekend as they make the drive up to rival Northwestern State, go up to Natchitoches, and take on those demons in a key Southland Conference series. That's going to play a big role in positioning for the conference tournament. It'll be Magnesa's final attempt, final try to be able to do something and secure themselves one of those top four seeds for the tournament that they will be hosting there in Lake Chuck. We got to take a timeout. We'll talk Houston Astros baseball next, right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The greatest baseball player in the history of the game earned a loss last night. How did that happen? How did that happen? Otani gets tagged with the loss because Framer Valdez was the better pitcher last night. Once again, what do we tell you all the time here on RP3 and Company? What do we say all the time? Baseball. Anything can happen. On a night where Shohei Otani passed Babe Ruth for most ever strikeouts for a two-way player, he also got hung with the L. Because Framer Valdez was sensational. A 12-strikeout performance over eight innings of three-hit ball in a 3-1 win for the Astros. Otani... Gave up six hits over seven innings, but the two-way superstar allowed five straight Astros to reach base in a three-run fifth inning, highlighted by the man Kevin Foote calls candy, Martin Maldonado, jacking a two-run home run. An old catcher who struggles with hitting was able to hit a home run off the greatest player in baseball history. How did this happen? Um, when Maldonado gets hits, he runs into him, but it's um, – I don't want to be mean about Maldonado because he's a great defensive catcher. He, so he's I'll a great defensive that. catcher who all the, who randomly hits home runs. Yeah. It's the, it's the, it's the, it reminds me when I was a, a kid growing up as a Braves fan, and like Mark Lemke would never hit home runs during the regular season, and when he got to the postseason, he would just jack home runs all of a sudden. Swing hard in case you hit it is how I would describe Martin Maldonado's approach at the plate. <laughs> yes. Yes. Otani did finish with seven strikeouts, but he's yielded at least three runs in three consecutive starts for the first time in his major league career. By the way, he's the greatest player of all time. I what I don't know. What are you doing with this this Otani slander? <laughs> it's just a point. Like what he is doing is is the great, I think, is the most incredible athletic feat in the modern generation by far. By far, by far, of the modern what? What 
I there's no way to compare it to anything you like I don't know it would be well I guess you know what Bo Jackson that's that's where that's your first comparison being that elite because pitching and hitting are you know it's almost like two different sports I would say we've we I, saw pitchers correct. hit for 30 years right and I mean well more than 30 years well, we more, saw more pitchers, than 30 years yeah. we've seen pitchers hit Yes, forever, right? I mean, it's it's difficult to do. We didn't see ever a hit, a, a pitcher hit the way Otani's hitting, and of course, that's because he's also a hitter, and he bats fourth in the lineup, and he pitches every fifth day, and he is like if he was good in both, it would be an incredible story. But he's elite in both, like that's unbelievable to me. I mean, that's you just for a couple years. We'll see if he can keep it up. Right, but I I don't think he has to keep it up to to still have well, well there, there there's a difference. I appreciate greatness that lasts a long time. Oh yeah, I get if that. you're a big Haley's Comet guy, then that's okay, because I need to see him do this for a decade. I don't, but I mean I th- we'll see. He's gonna he's about to get paid. Oh, he's gonna get paid. <laughs> it's it's gonna be the biggest it's contract break in sports history. Sports history, certainly. Right. Yes. Yeah. Who's going to have the money to pay him that? Because it's not going to be the Angels. We do know that, right? We're going to well, go Well, I don't know. Even if they did, I don't I don't. I don't he's think. already made it clear if they're not winning, he's not really interested. Um, you know, I mean, I, I mean, think the first thing I think of is the Yankees. Right. You like, think right. of your big, you think of your marquee Yankees, franchises. Yankees, Dodgers, you know. Backing up the Brinks truck and saying, whatever you want. Yeah, I think now, there's some other players interested. The Mets have shown they'll spend money. Like, there's going to be other players in this. Now, wait, time out. The, the Mets like spending money on players that get injured, so that's not Otani just yet. So, yeah, I just threw some Mets slander at 628 in the morning, and I'm going to do that all the time because I strongly just – I'm trying to use not – try to not use the phrase hate, Dawson. You know the Mets were my original baseball team. Oh, you're fired. <laughs> um. <laughs> I was a David Wright guy. Give me a break. Uh, um. He's on the cover of MLB 07, the show. There we go. Okay. And so that's that was all my right. introduction to baseball. I then eventually the Astros were on TV all day. You know, obviously being a local team and uh, Hunter Pence and everything like that. So then that was like, but the Mets just because David Wright was on the cover of the game. That was just okay. a little backstory for you. I got, I got, I got you. I got you. See, I grew up with sometimes being able to watch my Braves on TV, courtesy of the Superstation, but also a lot of times just listening to games with my grandfather on the radio. They were so. on uh, they were on TBS last night. Right? I saw people making a big deal about that because it was it was um, wasn't that didn't that happen? Or did you not? You weren't tuned into that. I was I was not. I did not get to. I had other. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, apparently I saw something about the Braves were on TBS last night. So people were making a deal about it. Like back in the old days, like this would. Well, been skip every day. and those guys aren't there, so it, it's not. It, it, it's nice to see it on the station. If that's the case, but it also comes with hearing Skip Carey and the boys in the booth is another big thing. But I, we digress. My my point is, look, Otani's great, but this is baseball. And the guy who's the best player in baseball, by far, can still get beat. And I think we forget that. And not necessarily you and I, but national folks who are constantly propping up people, constantly anointing someone the greatest of all time, right? And Otani may go down as the greatest of all time. I'm just from the school of thought, if you will. I'm old school. Can we, before we anoint someone, before we put somebody on 
this level of being considered one of the greatest of all time or the greatest of his generation, can we see a larger sample size? We are always rushing to anoint someone in sports, right? We, we, we can't wait to elbow out the other guy to rush to find the next great thing. It's, it's just, you know, we've seen it with LeBron James, the constant trying to, well, who's, who's, who's the best player? It's not LeBron anymore. Who's the best player? Well, can you, can you, or LeBron versus MJ debate. Can you just appreciate the greatness that you're saying? And we can have the debate afterwards, which is a silly debate anyway, because you can't compare errors. But can you just appreciate it? Like, I appreciate Otani's greatness, but the great thing about baseball, and that's what makes me chuckle, because a lot of those national talking heads that you see on your television box, here's, a, here's something that you may not know. You ready for it, Dawson? They don't really watch baseball. They just see headlines and regurgitate what other people say. And they don't understand that baseball, even the best player in the league right now, by far, can get beaten on any single day. Like, that's a concept that they don't understand. Nice win for the Astros. A bounce-back win. 3-1 to one victory for them over those Halos. And can they get a series win? They've lost three in a row. And they'll be playing today, this afternoon, the rubber match in Anaheim. You can listen to that on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM, the talk of Acadiana. Once again, Astros Angels on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM, the talk of Acadiana. We got to take a timeout. When we return, NBA playoffs. We'll discuss it next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. NBA playoffs, man, things are getting interesting. The Boston Celtics messed around in the first round, and then they messed around again in this conference semifinal matchup with Philadelphia. Let James Harden play like Houston Rockets MVP James Harden, and Philly stole a couple games. And... Now, they find themselves down three games to two. Last night, Philly goes into Boston and gets a 115-103 to victory. Joel Embiid was unstoppable. 33.7 rebounds, four blocks. Boston was paced by Tatum, who had 36 points and 10 rebounds. But they got roughed up, man. Philly set the tone early. Boston battled back in the second. Then Philly took control then in the third. And for a team that was expected to be a title contender, with as much veteran experience as they have, as much veteran playoff experience as they have, don't forget, Boston played for the World Championship last year. 
they now find themselves on the brink of elimination. And Philly, Embiid, 33. Maxie gave him 30? Tyrese Maxie, I think, had one of the quietest 20-point-per-game average seasons in the NBA history. Now, there's also there was more players, I think, and it was by far, that averaged 20 points per game than any year in NBA history also, because I think, just obviously, there's just a lot more scoring. Scoring's up, yeah. But like when I look down, I know Maxie's a good player, and I mean, I, look, I, I'll tell you this, I'm not locked into 76ers basketball all year long, but for, for me to look at the other day and kind of realize that he scored 20 a game, and, and so I wasn't a surprise last night. Now, he... That's, Six to twelve from three point. If you're going to get that from him, with Embiid playing the way he is, and Harden still being a factor, like you're you're going to be in trouble facing this team. And it's just funny, like I just feel like Philadelphia. It's kind of the same thing, I guess, that's happening with Denver. There was just so much fatigue about Philadelphia not being in this moment, and now they're playing their they're, they're playing the best basketball they've played in the postseason in recent memory. And like last night was it was. It was impressive, and I've I've decided. By the way, uh, moving this game wasn't an issue. I haven't been prioritizing my sleep. I've been prioritizing watching these games for the people, so I can give good insight on them. So uh, stayed up and watched Phoenix and Denver as well. So uh, you'll see you'll you'll be getting some locked in content from me as far as watching uh, all these games, even if they start at eleven forty seven p.m. The way the NBA wants them to start. Oh, it's brutal. So Philly's now up three games to two on Boston, the two seed. Over in the West, we expected Denver to bounce back and respond to what Phoenix had done because the Suns had won two straight games without Chris Paul because Devin Booker was shooting lights out. Well, what happened last night? Booker cooled off a little bit, only had 28 points. I can't believe I actually said that phrase. Only had 28 points, but the tear that he's been on, 28 points is a bit of a dip in production from the sharpshooter. Booker had 28, Durant had 26, but it wasn't nearly enough against the Denver Nuggets as the number one overall seed in the West gets the game five win, 118 to 102. They now lead the series three games to two. Jokic, by the way, is really good at playing basketball. This just in, in case you weren't paying attention. 29, 13, and 12. That's a stat line. Another triple-double for the two-time MVP who was 12 of 20 from the field, including two of three from three-point range. They got great contributions, though, from everyone. Four of their starters scored in double figures, including Michael Porter Jr., who chimed in with 19 points. You know who's been sneaky good? He didn't have a big night last night, but who's been under the radar good for the Nuggets? That's been Gordon. When we think of the Nuggets, obviously we think of Jokic, and then we think of Jamal Murray. But Gordon has been sneaky good. He only had 10 points last night, right? Didn't go off, but he's been good for them. Caldwell Pope, I didn't think I'd say that. He's been a contributor for them. And Michael Porter Jr., they've done a nice job of putting some decent good pieces around their two best players. They also got 25 points off the bench from Brown, who came in and played 27 minutes. So now all four of our NBA playoff series, all in the semifinals, we have elimination games now moving forward. What do we think is going to happen? 
Do we feel like the teams that are up three games or at the three-game win threshold, do we feel like they're going to close out the series? So I, w- I would say, obviously, you give a bit of an edge to the teams down 3-2 as opposed to the ones down 3-1. I think Phoenix has a is, is still okay. Um, they're going back to their house for game six. Maybe Chris Paul plays. We'll see. Um, I think Phoenix is okay. Um, I think Boston, look, I... I wouldn't be shocked if they turn it around and play better, but like based on the way they've played in the last three games, I don't have any real reason to. Based think on the turn way around. they play, I agree with you. I think Phoenix, Denver's going to go seven games. I think Game Seven's going to be a coin flip game because I think they're evenly matched. I agree with you on that. I also think in the East, though, I think it may be done because Boston oh, played think, this way yeah. towards the tail end of the regular season. They played this way in their first-round matchup against Atlanta, and they've played this way this entire series. There's nothing that suggests in the last month that Boston's going to be able to turn around and do what they need to do in back-to-back games. Well, and the team that I think is the only the only team that I would completely count out is the Knicks, which is funny because that's the biggest seed discrepancy as far as they have the higher seed by far, um, which, again, seeds at this point in the playoffs, how much do they matter? Depends. Um Golden State's dangerous, I think, with the I Lakers. I, I think if you're Los Angeles, I think you, you feel good about winning tonight. Like if you can win tonight's game and put that series away, then you. I mean, obviously that's your best case scenario. But if you if Golden State gets it to three two, then you're just you're, you're you're just playing with with fire there with a team that can get hot in a hurry. So I think if the, if the Lakers put it away tonight, and uh, they'll have a good chance in Game Six as well. But again, you don't want to get to a Game Seven in those types of situations. Um, but I think Miami's gonna gonna finish that series off in five um, on the Knicks, and um, yeah, I just I, I I just don't trust Boston to turn things around. I really don't. There's just there's something that by the way they played at the end of the season and then through these playoffs that just make you go, oh, something's off. Just something's off with them tonight. Miami, New York, as Dawson alluded to, Heat could close it out. They're up three games to one against the Knicks. Then it's Lakers, Warriors. I'd be interested to see what you're going to see from Golden State because they had a tour-de-force performance from Steph in the last game, and they lost. The rest of the guys, they're off. Like, Steph is great. Clay didn't have a good game last game. You never expect anything offensively from Draymond. But Poole and those other guys haven't been a factor. Yeah, and, and some reports. I don't know how much you buy into it, but some reports that Jordan Poole has had some issues in the locker room and that he's – uh that there's a bit of a disconnect there right now as well, so that's also something to keep Well, that in mind. began when he got the contract extension, got in a fight with Draymond Green. So that's always been kind of shaky there as well. So we'll see what happens, but more NBA playoff action tonight. Is it time to unveil the poll question of the day? I do believe it is. It's our foodie poll question of the week, and this is based on how this became a viral thing last week. <laughs> Dusting of the boiled crawfish. People in other parts of the state were outraged by this. How dare you dust crawfish after you boil them? Look, I personally don't care. I know why people dust boiled crawfish. Because crawfish have cracks in them when you boil them and you dust them to make them a little bit spicier. You put them into the ice chest and let it sit there and, you know, it opens up and then the seasoning gets in there. I don't necessarily care for dusted crawfish. I will eat them either way because guess what? I'm not eating the outer shell to begin with. Just just to throw that out there. 
I don't eat the outer shell. We prefer not to have it dusted, but we, I've had it both ways. So it doesn't matter to me. So this inspired the foodie poll question of the week. Which of these is the worst? Dusting boiled crawfish? Being offended by dusting crawfish? Or what our guy Darren's guy did, Sauce Gardner, and not know who Jessica Alba is? There's only one correct answer to this poll question of the day. Correct, Dawson? There's only one correct answer. And it has nothing to do with bull crawfish. would be answer C. <laughs> How do you not know who Jessica Alba is, Sauce Gardner? And Darren told me, well, he's young. I yeah, don't care. Right. No, it's like, listen, I mean, I'm, I'm maybe, what, a couple years older than Sauce Gardner? But, like, it's not like we're talking about somebody who acted in Citizen Kane. We're talking about... <laughs> She didn't Jessica act Alba. in black and white movies. She's talking about Jessica freaking Alba, dude. So that's our poll question of the day. Which of these is the worst? Which one of these is the most unacceptable? Dusting boiled crawfish, being offended by dusting, or not knowing who Jessica Alba is. Right now, 45% of you are correct with your vote. Not knowing who Jessica Alba is. 30% say dusting boiled crawfish. 25% being offended by dusting boiled crawfish. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming. We already have a few of them. And we'll make sure to share them throughout today's show. When we return here on RP3 and Company. International schedule has dropped for the NFL. And guess what? The Saints don't have to pack their bags. We'll share that information with you next to close out our number one right here on RP3 and Company. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Alexa and the game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, the game Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. Good news, Saints fans. No international game for the black and gold. Even though the official schedule for the 2023 season will not be unveiled until tomorrow, somehow we have the international series leaked to the media. Imagine that, the NFL manipulating the media for constant exposure? No. But here's the good news. It was rumored that the Saints were going to have to play in Germany. And that'd been that'd been the rumor for about a week. That's not going to happen. According to ESPN, we have our slate of international contests, and they do not include the New Orleans Saints. The Dirty Birds will have to play the Jacksonville Jaguars, London's favorite NFL team, in Wembley Stadium. Then the Jags will go back that next week. Actually, they'll just stay. Well, that's nice. They're helping out Jacksonville with travel things, unlike they do with the Saints. Jaguars will then take on the Buffalo Bills, also in London. Ravens-Titans the next week in London. Dolphins versus Chiefs in November in Frankfurt. Shout out to the fatherland, where my people are from. And then Colts versus Patriots, also in Frankfurt. 
So the rumor had been maybe Saints-Patriots over in Germany. That did not happen. So your five NFL International Series games for the upcoming season, Jags, Falcons, Bills, Ravens, Titans, Dolphins, Chiefs, Colts, Patriots, and more importantly, no who dats. That's a good thing. No? no yeah, else? no, I mean, it's it's uh, it's good. It's um, We'll see. The NFL did this wonderful thing where the Saints, so they introduced like the 17-game schedule, and the Saints um, the first year were given eight home games and nine road games. It's like, okay, well, then it's going to rotate. Well, then the next year they took away a home game to make them play overseas, so then they had eight home games again. Then this year it's going to be the eight home game rotation again, so they're going to have eight home games again. So it's going to take four years of this new scheduling format for the Saints to get nine home games. And we'll see. They might make them play, you know, in, in the Atlantic Ocean for their one of their home games next year. We'll see what happens. On an oil rig. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. They, they, really, they really don't do them any favors. Oh, so Saints don't have to go overseas, which is a good thing. We'll find out the official schedules on Thursday. I'm sure they'll get leaked. And we'll see them beforehand, probably later today, early tomorrow morning. But we'll know the official schedule for the New Orleans Saints for the 2023 season by Thursday afternoon at the latest. But Saints don't have to go across the pond, so that's always a good thing. By the way, I'm a big anti-NFL international game guy. I just... If you're going to play the games, you shouldn't take them away from the home fans. Because the fans that support the team week in, week out, that spend the money to come to your home stadium, uh, the same people that their taxpayer dollars help build your facility, you probably shouldn't take games away from those people. If you want to play preseason games overseas, I'm all about that. Because it's a novelty for the folks in London and Germany. But we're playing five regular season games. Like, you're taking five regular season games away from home fans. I just, I'm I'm not down for that. I'm not going to sign up for that. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. It is absolutely coming down hard out there right now, so make sure you're careful on your morning commute for work in school out on the roadways uh, today as the storm system that's going to be lingering all week (laughs) into the weekend, which uh, doesn't bode well for the Sunbelt Conference softball tournament here in Lafayette or the Southland Conference softball tournament over in Lake Charles or the state high school baseball championships in Sulphur. Or Dawson's pursuit of getting better at golf. None of those four are going to be helped The, by the that. last one's the most important. 
obviously. Uh, yeah, that goes without saying. Without saying. But please be careful out there today. But thank you for tuning in to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parsh III. We are broadcasting live from inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. I'm joined inside the studios by, of course, the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow. Our number one was a good one. Talk to LSU baseball, getting a mercy rule victory over Northwestern State in one of their final midweek games of the year. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns let one get away from them at Louisiana Tech as they fell to the Bulldogs slash don't call us Lady Texters. And the McNeese Cowboys got themselves a midweek win, a non-conference win over a conference opponent. Yes, it gets confusing. Welcome to the Southland as they beat the Nichols Colonels. We also dove into the Houston Astros. Framer Valdez was magnificent on the bump as the Strohs take down the fighting MVPs 3-1, to one, handing Otani his first loss of the season. NBA playoffs, Denver Nuggets defeat the Phoenix Suns, put them on the brink of elimination, up three games to two. Philadelphia, huh, Boston keeps playing with their food, and it looks like it may cost them as now the 76ers, behind a great performance by, by Joel Embiid, they're up three games to two in that series now in the Eastern Conference semifinals. We also talked about the New Orleans Saints, thankfully not being assigned an international game this year. Five international games, two in Germany, three in London. And thankfully, despite the rumors that persisted for the last week, the Saints will not be having to pack their bags and head overseas to play a game in Europe. And of course, we unveiled the poll question of the day, which is the foodie poll question of the week on Wednesday. We asked you, which of these is the worst? Is dusting boiled crawfish the worst? Lots of scuttlebutt about this over the last week or so. Is being offended by the dusting of the crawfish the worst? Or is it not knowing who Jessica Alba is? Once again, the dusting of the crawfish. UL posted a video of how to celebrate the end of the school year. They had a video where they fed their athletes and students. They dusted the crawfish. This caused some fake outrage, as I like to call it. <laughs> across the board it became a thing to beef over on social media and i was like really? i don't i don't know how fake the outrage was honestly there were some people who i think it actually ruined their day but <laughs> i'll give my quick take on it um i'm from new orleans that's well documented um we don't do that there there's a couple of things with crawfish that are different here and i actually brought this up at the company crawfish boil last week like i didn't grow up with sauce as a thing like sauce for crawfish we just didn't do it um in new orleans just not really a thing but that's the thing over here um, same thing with the dusting. Again, the dusting, it just doesn't matter. Like, if you like it, then it's fine. And if you don't like it, now, the the idea of, oh, it gets on your fingers, whose fingers are clean after eating crawfish anyway? <laughs> what does it matter? And I understand the idea, too. From now, I've been I've been informed about dusting procedures and, and, and the advantages. If you're serving crawfish to a large group of people, it's a way to make some of the crawfish spicier for the people who want it spicier while still having just, you know, the regular spice levels for Correct. people who don't. I've, I've been to crawfish boils here in Acadiana 
where you'll have one ice chest of non-dusted crawfish and you'll have another one that's dusted and the one that's dusted is the spicier crawfish which makes it yeah that's a lot easier than having to have separate pots to boil or to just you know the first batch versus the second batch being spicier because you add a little spice to the second batch and the dusting comes down to because the crawfish have cracks in their shells and the seasoning seeps back in while you let it sit in the yeah, ice chest. Okay. That's the other thing. So, People saying, oh, well, you're not eating the shell, which I know you weren't like referencing this part of that argument, but it's like you don't eat the boiled water that it's cooked in either. But what do you mean? Like it it's getting in, it's there's pores. It's not a your skin. It's just like your skin. Things can seep see, in. Like see, that's the see. whole idea. So and look. So I don't do it, but I don't understand why people get offended by people who do. Some of the, And also, when it comes to... That's another thing I've learned. I've spent five years in Acadiana now. When it comes to cooking food, I don't question the people of Acadiana. I let them do their thing. They, they usually know what they're doing. Different parts of the state do things differently, right? Uh, it, it, even how you prefer, uh, uh, prepare certain Cajun dishes here in Acadiana differs. Folks in Ville Platte do things differently than folks down in St. Martinville or New Iberia Certainly. do. And then another thing I'll say about the dusting that I saw uh, a chef, I, I think it was a chef that was actually talking about it. The idea is also that the dusting that gets on your fingers, then if you want it spicier, because now every time you're picking crawfish, some of that extra seasoning is getting on the crawfish because it's on your fingers. Correct. That's Correct. another little advantage Correct. of it. So that was the big thing. But then what I found to be even more atrocious was the fact that Sauce Gardner, who is a great young defensive player for the New York Jets, shout out to Darren's favorite protein. Had no idea who Jessica Alba is. <laughs> so that's our poll question of the day. Which of these is the worst? Is it dusting bold crawfish? Is it being offended by the dusting of the crawfish? Or is it not knowing who Jessica Alba is? There's only one correct answer here. And that's not knowing who Jessica Alba is. JPK, the OD, says, number one, not knowing Jessica Alba. Number two, tomatoes and gumbo. Number 447, the crawfish dusting conversation. And he shared a gif of Miss Alba from Sin City. By the way, I saw that movie five times in the theater, just to be just to be transparent. Hart says, dusting only puts a layer on the outside that you can occasionally get bits of seasoning off your fingertips while eating. If your water is seasoned correctly, then there's no reason to dust. But I also boil turkey in crawfish water for Thanksgiving, so maybe I can't be trusted on this one. Ralph says, hey, when it comes to boiling preference, you do you. Who cares? But Jessica Alba in a foodie poll question is the game using AI? Suddenly, I missed the cheesy red beans and ramen noodle questions. Where are you at, five names? Ralph, there'll be none of that. There'll be none of that. Hannah's doing her thing now. Simmer down. And I come up with a poll question, so I'm allowed to do whatever I want to with it, by the way. <laughs> I just like to say that right off the bat as well. Darren just shared a gif of his boy, Sauce Gardner. Yeah, Sauce and, and laughing emojis. Poor Sauce. Ton says, let people be as dumb as they want. Dusting wastes spice, but does that affect you? No. Let them live their lives. Now, not knowing Jessica Alba, something wrong with you. Coach Eric Howard says, come on now. All self-respecting Cajuns know better than to dump seasoning on top of boiled crawfish. Here's the thing. I've had it both ways here in Acadiana. Like, I've lived in New Orleans, Baton Rouge, Alexandria, Monroe, and Lafayette and Sunset. I married a woman from Arneville. 
Okay? St. Landry Parish. I've had bold crawfish here in Acadiana and multiple places different ways. Some dust, some don't. Yeah, I'll say this too. And I they know speak with a Cajun accent in all of those occasions, by the way. The uh, the worst crawfish, I don't, well, maybe I shouldn't make enemies of the state next to us. I won't do it. Never mind. Were, were you going to uh, throw slander on Mississippi? Yeah, yeah, oh, I was. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. I've got a lot of family in Mississippi and the food that the I do people too. miss and, and, the, and, the, and the boiled crawfish that I've had in Mississippi, you want to talk about lacking flavor. <laughs> you, you, can throw, you can throw shade on them. That's fine. I, I approve Mississippi slander. John Paul says, I had never heard of Dustin Crawfish until I moved here 14 years ago from Homa, and no one in any other place where crawfish is eaten does crawfish. It's a waste of spices. The person who came up with it should go on trial for Cajun treason. Once again, Cajuns, it's different in the state. Like, that's the other thing. You also, people that speak Cajun French, there's different accents with that, too, just here in Acadiana, by the way. As someone who's not Cajun, you pick up on that real quick. You go, whoa, hey, that's different. Different strokes for different folks, man. Doug says, just bought crawfish and crabs this past weekend, and they did just that, so I rinsed mine before indulging. No dusting. Once again, I think it's a straight preference thing with the dusting of the crawfish. Absolutely. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Martin to the show. He's been patiently waiting to discuss the poll question. Martin, good morning to you, brother. Hope you're being safe out there with the weather this morning. How are you, bud? Uh, doing good, doing good. Okay, the correct answer to the poll question of the day is being a Yankees fan that don't know who Jessica Alba is, that dust is their crawfish. <laughs> Absolutely, you should never, never dust crawfish. Never. It's like... Like, when I see dusty crawfish, it's almost like they're trying to hide something. You know, like like they messed up the, the boiling process or anything like that. You know, but absolutely, you, you put your, your, your seasoning in your water. That way you season your potatoes, your corn. You know, you let it you let it boil a little while, and then you put your crawfish in. You know, I mean, it's just overkill when I see dusty crawfish. That's like like crawfish abuse, you know? And, I mean, it, it it just makes no sense. And also, that's like putting cheese in red beans. But thanks for taking my call. Y'all have a good one. I want to just quickly add in as well because I saw I don't I think most people understood, but I think part of the Twitter outrage last week was maybe some misunderstanding of if people in Acadian are dusting crawfish, they are not boiling plain water for the crawfish. They are seasoning the water as well. Correct. This there, is in addition to there, in Lanyap. There is there is. The they're being boiled now. If somebody look, if I found a crawfish boil anywhere where the people were only dusting as the only form of seasoning, then I would have a problem with it. But all, if you're all the doing times both, I've had dusted crawfish, it's already been boiled as well the proper way. It is simply made for people who want to have it extra spicy. You do a big crawfish boil, you have a lot of kids there, some people, or you have older people that can't have the spiciness of the crawfish so you make up two you boil it the the same way that you would boil everything you boil your potatoes and your corn and your onions and your sausage if you want to put it in there whatever you may want to do and then you make a batch of the crawfish that's going to be spicier and that's why you dust it once again i don't care for the dusting of the crawfish but when i saw the outrage i was like for, why does it matter like that's yeah. that's the big thing i don't understand about it is Okay, they dust the crawfish. 
you still have to take the crawfish meat out of the crawfish shell, correct? Right. To eat it. You're not eating the shell, the crawfish with the shell on. So does it really matter? Yeah, the other thing too. Like that, does that really matter? I don't think so. Um, and I'm again, I don't, I don't do it this way when I do it, so I don't know. But I've, I've been told, and I, and the research makes sense. You don't dust and serve. You have to let it soak afterwards, and that what's that's what kind of allows it to seep in. Which, like again, I just don't. I, I know you're not eating the show. Guess what? Like I said, you're not drinking the boiled water anyway. I, so I don't know why people went with that approach. Like, yeah, obviously you're not licking the seasoning off the shell. It's about the, s- the overall spices that are seeping in. Anyway. Uh, oh, man. It is, uh, it, is, it is amazing. So keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Which of these is the worst? Dusting the bull crawfish, being offended by those who dust bull crawfish, or not knowing who Jessica Alba is? Once again, there's only one correct answer here. And that's not knowing who Miss Alba is. I'm just just saying. Just just <laughs> we're we're doing a public service an announcement here. We're doing you a service. Sorry. It's it's only one correct answer to this poll question. But keep your votes coming. Keep those comments coming. They've been a blast so far. You guys have been killing it this morning. Keep bringing those on Facebook and Twitter. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, a local star makes a decision. Former Catholic High of New Iberia, state champion in multiple sports, and a starting cornerback for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Trey Amos has made his decision on where he's going. We'll share that with you next, right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Oh, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Trey Amos entered the transfer portal last Friday and quietly received a slew of offers. LSU, Alabama, Texas A&M, Michigan, Oregon, University of Florida. Multiple big-time college football programs offered the young man from New Iberia. A star at Catholic High. He helped them win a state championship in football. Helped him get a state runner-up another year. And then was a track and field state champion himself as well. Multi-sports star. Began his Louisiana Raging Cajun career pretty much as a backup special team guy. But became a starter last season for Coach Dez. Has immense potential. It's a big hit for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. We know that losing a guy like that after spring football is not ideal. Or as I like to say often on this show, not optimal. But this is the world we live in now. Teams from the Sun Belt, 
teams from Conference USA, the American, Mountain West, they are now going to be feeder systems for the schools from the Power Five conferences, ACC, SEC, Big 12, Big 10. This is what's going to happen. They're not going to recruit these kids out of high school like they used to, where they would spend maybe four to six roster spots on any class on like three stars that they could develop. Redshirt them that first year, develop them, turn them into starters for them when they become juniors and seniors. That used to be the standard operating procedure. Or you simply go get you some guys out of junior college. Well, all that's changed. Now, the big boy programs like Texas, LSU, Alabama, Oregon, Oklahoma, they now go and poach players from UL, Troy, Coastal Carolina, Liberty. You name it, that's where they go now. That's the new reality that we live in. And we can go down the rabbit hole on how this hurts high school kids because it does. Because now high school kids are getting less opportunities to get scholarships. So many of them are having to go the junior college route. Not because of grades, but because those are the places that have opportunities. And you're going to see a trickle-down effect where Southland Conference teams like McNeese and Southeastern and Northwestern State are going to be recruiting more guys. But then they're going to be losing guys. Look, Southeastern is losing Zy Alexander, formerly of Lauraville High School, right here in our backyard. He's going to LSU. It's the second year in a row that Brian Kelly has gone and gotten him a guy out of the Southland Conference to be a starter in his secondary. This is the world we live in now. And Trey made his decision official yesterday. Took a visit to LSU. Things went well. His second visit was to Tuscaloosa. Got to meet, sit down with Nick Saban. I've been told... The Nick Tater broke down film, showed him what he did well, showed him what he didn't do well, showed him what he could be working on and how he was going to develop him. Because remember, Saban is very hands-on with his defensive backs because Nick Saban played defensive back. Nick Saban coached DBs in the NFL and in college before becoming one of the greatest coaches of all time. He still very much is involved with his DBs at the University of Alabama. That did it. Because Trey Omos made it official yesterday that he was officially transferring to go play for the Crimson Tide. It's a great opportunity for the young man from New Iberia. He will have to step his game up to be able to play in the SEC. There's no doubt about that. We saw Makai Gardner make the transition last year from UL to LSU. He went from being a projected mid-round draft pick and a guy that was going to be an all-Sun Belt performer, and he struggled at LSU, and he went undrafted. So just because you go to the bigger school doesn't mean it's going to improve your draft stock. Osiris Torrance got drafted around the same place that he probably would have if he would have stayed at UL. So there's you could go either way on those things. But for Trey, he's got two years of eligibility left, Dawson. He's going to a team that's already got guys with experience, so he's not going to be forced like, say, Makai and others were last year at LSU, where it's like, hey, we don't have any guys. We need you going out there to be the starters and be the the lockdown guys. Trey will be able to be kind of protected, if you will, 
by guys that already have experience playing in Nick Saban's defense at Alabama and playing in the SEC. That will help. And he also has the second year. So he can come back and play another season for Saban. But Trey Amos, Catholic High, New Iberia star and former Louisiana Raging Cajun, headed to T-Town. Yeah, I wouldn't even say Makai Garner had a bad year at LSU. He actually, I mean, became a starter and played regularly and I thought played well uh, at times. And so I was surprised. At times, he wasn't as consistently good as he was the previous year at UL. Right. Um, But so with Trey here, look, if you're a Cajun fan, first of all, from that perspective, um, there was worse places he could have went as far as uh, how much it would have stung and things like that. So um, I think for that, Maybe a little bit happy about that. I'm sure some Cajun fans are. I'm, I'm sure there's uh, some that would have rathered see him stay somewhere closer by, uh, if you get what I'm hinting at here. But um, overall, I think it's a great opportunity. Now, it's it's really easy to get lost in the shuffle at a place like Alabama. Um, yes, 100. I mean, if and if and that's the difference. If if you're not elite or if you're not playing at the best of your ability there, um, there's another guy who is going to. And and that's not always the case, right? If you stay at a place like UL, sometimes if you're that talented and you're that special you're going to play regardless because you're the option now at Bama you're going to have to and I think that that sometimes can get the best out of people and maybe that'll be and hopefully that'll be the case for Trey because I think it's a great opportunity and um yeah we'll we'll see what happens I thought Florida would have been a good fit just not because of Billy Napier obviously the familiarity there and the staff there but because of the man that they have there coaching the defensive backs the godfather of DP DBU from LSU who's also New Iberia native. I thought that would have been Corey Raymond would have been someone that would have been v- worked very well for Trey in that regard uh, because he's a tough coach, he's a hard-nosed coach, and he's known for developing defensive backs. So I thought that would have been a great opportunity for Trey. But look, he's going to get hands-on coaching and developing at Alabama from Nick Saban. So wish him the best of luck. Good opportunity for him we'll see if he takes advantage of it let's head out to the hotline and welcome on doc to the show doc i got about 45 seconds but it's yours brother what's on your mind my friend um i think we need to start looking maybe at this thing as like a glass half full uh there's several things with the juco one juco's cheaper it's a newer thing you know a lot of these kids that don't have to travel so cost for families might be a benefit to them and if like normal things if the kid's that good cream's gonna always rise to the top and it might actually be not necessarily a bad thing in terms of high school kids because they may now have more opportunities to showcase levels at a slightly higher level than uh, high school. My, my, my only rebuttal to that, Doc, is uh, talking to coaches and looking at the recruiting, we're getting less and less kids recruited out of high school because everyone's going to the transfer portal. So the, the cream oh, does rise the to the top. But there are a lot of JUCO schools that are having programs like LSUE um, that may now be able to uh, potentially expand, theoretically. Uh, theoretically, yes. Uh, budgets are part of that and financial, you know, uh, the uh, things that happen behind the scenes. I, I don't disagree with the, the theory. I need to see it practically turn, uh, play out because right now the high school kids – there's less of them being recruited. Not the blue chips, not the five stars. I'm talking about yeah. the three stars and the two stars that aren't getting opportunities as much as they used to. So this is a golden opportunity for junior colleges to seize, right? Yeah. Seize on this and really push hard to recruit kids out of high school. It's also a great opportunity for, say, like Southeastern, McNeese, and others 
to go and recruit guys that maybe five years ago they wouldn't get a chance to go get Doc, but now they can get them, develop them, and know that in three years they're probably going to leave to go play in a Power 5 conference. That's okay, but now they're getting more talent right out of the gate than maybe they typically would. So maybe that's where you're going to see that. Yeah, and then it also expands their own base because now, look, hey, you want to come here and, you, you know, we don't think you're ready yet, but we can develop you to get you ready for the next level. And that only is another advertisement for your for your, uh, Correct. your program. Correct. So. Appreciate the phone call, brother. Be safe out there today with that weather. We'll try. Just a reminder, don't forget to vote on our foodie poll question of the week. This was inspired by the outrage of – dusting of the crawfish once again Dawson and I have just given our thoughts on this D'Lo is from New Orleans they don't dust crawfish down there they also don't use dipping sauce okay so but it doesn't bother him if you dust your crawfish it doesn't bother him just like it doesn't bother me I've been to crawfish boils my wife has my daughter has we've been to crawfish boils where they dust crawfish and we've been to crawfish boils where they don't dust crawfish right here in Acadiana and you know what it doesn't bother me we don't prefer the dusting Okay, it's not our jam. We understand why some people do it, because they want it to be a little bit spicier. They want to have the spice on their fingers. I get it. It's not my jam, but it doesn't offend me. I'm not outraged. It hasn't ruined my day. So which is the which of these is the worst? Is dusting boiled crawfish the worst? Is it being offended by dusting the worst? Or is it what Sauce Gardner, New York Jets cornerback, revealed to the world that he didn't know who Jessica Alba was? Once again, there's only one correct answer here. There's only one correct answer. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. When we come back, Ron Higgins, the mad dog from Tiger Details, will join us to talk all things LSU. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, you got bad weather out there this morning. Please be careful on your commutes to both work and school. If you're dropping off the little ones at school, like my wife is, dropping off our daughter Hattie at Grand Coteau Elementary, make sure you be careful out there. Be mindful of your surroundings, high water, things of that nature. Because we got bad weather not only today, but for the rest of the week, which could make an impact on the Sunbelt Conference softball tournament here at Lampson Park or the Southland Conference softball tournament over in Lake Charles, or the state baseball championships over in Sulphur. So just be careful, please. Right now, though, it's time for us to talk all things LSU Tigers with the award-winning reporter columnist from TigerDetails.com, the mad dog, Mr. Hollywood Higgins himself. Ron Higgins joins us now. Ron, good morning to you, brother. How was the cruise? It was good. Uh, They didn't get lost. Which was good. It's always good. <laughs> you know, the, uh, but I always like, you know, when the captain comes on and gives his announcements, it's always great because you can barely understand him. He's, he's usually Italian when he gets on there. And it's like, hello, this is the captain. 
you know, that's how it goes. You know, it's, it's great stuff. So I, I was uh, I was not anticipating the Italian accent from you this morning, yeah. but hey, I am appreciative. This is the capital, you know. <laughs> but right, right now, you'll need to go on with your safety instructions to put on your life vest. Like, what's he saying? Life, life vest? What's he saying? What's yeah. he saying? Uh, so, yeah. So, anyway, yeah, it was good. Good, good cruise. There uh, we go. Back in the uh, LSU baseball, finishing up the season, see if they can find somebody who can pitch for him besides Paul Skeen. So hey, that would be helpful. Let's start there because they finally drop a series, and Skeens was magnificent, career high in strikeouts in the Friday night win, but the, no one else was able to give them five good innings. And I've argued this: this team is going to win a regional. This team is probably going to win a super. They'll get to Omaha. The only thing that could trip them up from winning a national title, which LSU fan expects from their baseball program every year, is not having somebody that can go out there and just give them a good five to six innings. Because if they can find that guy, if they can just find that guy, maybe they already have him on the roster, but if they can just find a guy to give them that run, they can win the whole thing. But we saw over the weekend they don't have that right now, and it cost them. Yeah, it's a, it's a problem for them. Uh, it's been one kind of all year. Uh, I mean, Ty Floyd has been kind of hot and cold as their game two starter. I mean, he was good for a while Saturday and then have, uh, we, we struck out seven in a row uh, and then kind of imploded. And then their, their relief pitching was, was, was not very good. Uh, their Sunday starter has been terrible. Uh, they've tried two different guys. Amazingly, one of the guys, the, the, the first guy they tried for like three or four games, Thatcher Hurd, now has been tremendous as a relief pitcher in his last uh, two appearances. Last night he pitched uh, as a starter and played, pitched really well for pitching for 2.1 innings, and and, and he was fine. They, they pulled him just because of, he went, he struck out five in 2.1 innings and looked really good uh, after a, a little bit of a shaky start. Uh, but they still trying to find, you know, be, well, they lost. They lost, you know, to their best pitchers to, to Tommy John surgery. Basically, that really hurt them. Uh, I mean, on their current stats, their their four top pitchers, the ERA, uh, they're skinned, and there's the two pitchers are gone because of the injuries, and then there's uh, Nate Ackehausen, who's back to the injury. Uh, so they're trying to find some people to step up and uh, and be consistent. That hadn't happened yet, so that's kind of tough. I mean, you go weekend to weekend and. Yeah, you know, Jay Johnson's kind of punching buttons to see who can come in and give him, you know, a couple of good innings here and there in relief, but uh, because you know, at first you thought the rest of the staff is is not that good because Skeens is so good, uh, and maybe that's it still applies because Skeens is so exceptional it makes everybody else look average. Uh, but they need to find some starting pitching that, like you said, they can give them four and five, four or five innings, uh, and then some some relief pitching that's been pretty good. Uh, they got two, three guys reliever who have been fairly consistent lately, but there's not enough arms out there. Uh, Could Coleman be that guy now that he's starting to get more reps? Yeah, Jamin Coleman coming off Tommy John's uh, from last year. Uh, He's starting to throw the ball a little bit better. Uh, I mean, Gavin Gittery's been pretty good for him. The freshman's been been, been pretty good for him. Um, they're starting to try to find some other guys. Thatcher Hurt, again, like the guy from UCLA who was, was awful as a starter in, in SEC games, is, is, is 
last two relief appearances and wins against Auburn and Alabama, well, he, he's looked really good. Uh, so they're hoping, you know, that'll you know, get them through somewhat. And then uh, they got some guys who've been on the staff for a couple of years, but you never know what you'll get at them. Riley Cooper has been in more games than anybody else in the past two years. Uh, uh, the transfer from Arizona uh, has 50 appearances. Uh, uh, you know, he's not exactly uh, a svelte physique. Uh, he, he, he looks like me or you going out there pitching off. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> he gets, you know, uh, Riley's never been a buffet. He didn't like it, it looks like, but, but he, uh, and, but he blows hot and cold too. So you don't know. Correct. And, uh, uh, you know, I kind of, you know, cringe when Blake money goes out there a little bit. Uh, but let me but ask you this, you know, the, the, look, the pitching is there and, and that, that could be, could be their Achilles heel. And that's what I keep saying. Could be their Achilles heel. But I think of, the last two national title teams at LSU, the night the 2019 football team, the defense was not great, and we kept talking about how the defense isn't all that good, and they have problems tackling, and they give up busted coverage, and yet the defense played good enough down the stretch, and in the in the playoff run that it wasn't a hindrance. It didn't prevent them from winning the national title because they had an all-time offense. This year, with women's basketball, we kept talking about the non-conference schedule not being tested. Kim Mulkey's team hadn't faced any tough competition, and when they did, they lost to South Carolina. Well, they got hot at the right time, got confident, and it didn't stop them from winning a title. Could we be saying the same thing a month from now about the LSU baseball team? Possibly, yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, I think the bats got the bats are kind of have to warm up a little bit. The bats have been kind of spotty lately. I mean, they won by a thirteen run rule last night, but again, that was a non conference game. Uh, I mean, the ten run rule. I mean, uh, so that was a non conference game. Uh, they they have to kind of really. They're going to have to win this thing with offense. Okay, I mean, they're going to have to win the offense. And their, their their feelings are going to have to go back and be a lot better than it has been. I mean, the beginning year, we, we talked about how great it was. And lately, you're starting to creep in some of the stuff that happened last year. This routine ground balls are being thrown to first base and a little bit short, and they can't field them. I, I'm still not – I'm still not – I know – I'm still not sold on – I mean, Trey Morgan can play about anywhere he wants. He's, he's that good of a fielder, Okay. I just think he's a hell of a lot more valuable at first base. I'm sorry. Uh, I think you can put anybody in left field and do a job, all right? They've got people who can do that. I think they, they really need him at first base because a lot of these errors that happen are are, are, are errant throws that that usually he picks up, he'll he'll pick, uh, and guys are out. And, uh, you know, you've, you've had a, a guys at first base who aren't as good as him. Uh and I understand they're there and they're in the line because of their bats, but it comes a point where, where you can get by with about one less bat if you've got a guy who who doesn't make errors at first base and saves your butt a lot. Uh, and I'm, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of of of, of Trey Morgan left field again. It has nothing to do with Trey Morgan. I just think he should be playing first base. That's uh, fair. That's but, fair. Let me get you out of here with this, Mad Dog, Kim Mulkey. Tearing up the transfer portal yet again. He's gotten herself two All-Americans. 
and just talk about her ability to be able to adapt to be the master of the transfer portal for both men and women's basketball. There's no one better, and she's proving it yet again. I think she's in a situation where this could, could never happen at Baylor, ever. Because there's so many support things going on with, with women's basketball that helps you get those recruits. One, okay, she's won national championships at Baylor, okay? But, but back then, you didn't have NIL. But even if they did, would they have the, the, the support and money to go out and get the players? Would they have the social media uh, department that LSU has who's constantly blasting stuff out there that recruits see? And they say, man, that looks like fun. Yep. That head coach, you know, I mean, there's all these things going together. Now, my question is, for LSU women's basketball is, and she hadn't had to face this before, how do you uh, – how do you control everything that's going on around you? You've got, you've got your star player who who has her Mercedes Benz now drives a Mercedes because of a, a contract with a, a dealership. Who's also in the Sports Illustrated, the Sports Illustrated model. Uh, you've got all this NIL stuff going on, and so and you've got two transfers come in, and so suddenly LSU has gone from the team that I think was 14th or 15th in the preseason poll last year to national championship. Uh, that kind of came off the radar and kind of fought for respect to the team that now is the favorite and the absolutely most hated college women's college team in America because yes, because they don't like the coach, they don't like the clothes she wears, they don't like Angel Reese, they don't like the uh, players, they don't like their trash talking, they don't like the fact that one of them's doing rap songs now. It's I mean, it, it, they're going to be the villains of college basketball. Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, and so they're going to, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they'll embrace that. Uh, and so this is interesting. What, what I mean, the, the challenge she has, uh, to try to, uh, and I, I'm sure, I'm sure she can handle it. Uh, I've seen her practices. I know how, what she says to them. <laughs> uh, but it's, 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 a, it's probably one of the biggest challenges of her career because it, it's, it's in a whole new time of college athletics where, uh, Everybody's getting paid for something. Uh, and she's been able to maneuver through that brilliantly yet. We'll see how she handles the challenge coming up. Mad Dog, I got to hit a timeout, brother. Thank you for your time, my friend. Can't wait to see you and uh, have you on again, my friend. Get a T.O. right now. T.O. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team, I got one college team, I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for, that's who I support, period. Call me old-fashioned. Bien. Call me old-fashioned, that's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. Uh, the poll question of the day on Wednesday is always our foodie poll question of the week. Which one of these is the worst? Dusting boiled crawfish. Being offended by the dusting of the crawfish or not knowing who Jessica Alba is. We're mixing it up with the poll question today. 37% of you say not knowing who Jessica Alba is. That is the correct answer, by the way. 
34% say dusting boiled crawfish, and 29% of you say being offended by the dusting. Hart is trying to choose violence. If you're feeling petty one morning and want to start chaos, ask D-Lo and listeners who has better food, 337 or 504. And I simply said no. <laughs> Just Nope. That will not be that question. I am not having our social media accounts being taken over by that. B-Rad comes in from off the top rope with the flying elbow, macho man style. This is a dumbass argument. The people making a stink about it are the idiots that say things like, that's not Cajun or that's not country. Well, who the freak asked them? Saltiness from B-Rad. My man comes in hot today. Salty Steve says, dust them, bust them, or just not trust them. Put 10 pounds in front of me and call me a magician. Those bad boys are going to disappear. See, it doesn't matter to me because the crawfish is inside the shell. <laughs> so I take the piece, I, I take the crawfish out, Dawson, and I can still eat it. Just say it. Caleb says, dust them and then pour hot sauce on top. What? That's going to be spicy. Todd says, I dust my crawfish and they better than people's who don't dust. See? The Notorious Dub says, is it wrong to say all three look good? Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share them throughout today's show. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three, we'll kick it off with Jay Walker talking all things Vermillion and White. That's next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Uh, the final hour of today's edition of RP3 and Company has arrived. Make sure you're safe out there with the bad weather coming through the area. We're going to have it today and really all week. It's probably going to wreck uh, some havoc, if you will, on the Sunbelt Conference Softball Tournament here at Lampson Park, the Southland Conference Softball Tournament in Lake Charles, and, of course, the State Baseball Championships in Sulphur. So please be mindful today when you're out and about during your morning commute for work and school. Coming up half an hour from right now, we're going to get the latest news and notes from the world of NASCAR. That's right, Rubbin is racing from Toby Christie of tobychristie.com. That's coming up half an hour from right now. Also, don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. But right now, it's time for us to talk all things vermilion and white with a longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Jay Walker joins us this morning. Jay, good morning, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm faking it. <laughs> oh, yes, the life of a man on radio. So, last night's game, uh, look, Louisiana Tech's not a good ball club this year. We understand that. We also understand that this is a midweek game. And watching it from afar and listening it to afar, it seemed like maybe Coach Matt Deggs took the approach of, let's get as many guys some reps as possible here and see what we have. Because really what's important is the two final conference series against Texas State 
and against, of course, Southern Miss. Give me your big takeaway from last night's game in Ruston. I, I think Matt Deggs was doing everything he could to win that game. Um, you know, he, he he said before the game that Christie would be on a on a short um, short leash stint. Yeah, right. Uh, and you know, Christie gave up uh, four in the uh, in the second inning. Uh, and the problem he had after that is, you know, he had guys after that that he wanted to pitch a couple innings, uh, but all of them had trouble throwing strikes except for Stephen Cash. And so he kept shuttling guys out there, hoping he could find somebody who wouldn't walk people. And with exception of Cash, he couldn't. And uh, you walked uh, eight, you hit two. Heard You heard this song before? I have. Yep. And that's been a, that, that's been an issue before. And look, you're not going to win many baseball games when you hit batters and walk as many as they did in last night's game. Let's talk about some of the positives, though. The lineup did a nice job. Uh, Max and Kyle, those guys got multiple hits. The lineup from top to bottom, including C.J. Willis playing in his hometown, I felt like they did a nice job. I think they did a good enough job to win the game. Well, they had 15 hits. I would say that they did. You know, 15 hits and eight runs. Uh, should be enough. Uh, but, you know, that's that's one thing that I think has been a constant now for about the last uh, eight, nine games or so, eight or nine games. Um, the, the lineup has been pretty consistent, and those guys have been producing. Um, you know, once again, you had 15 hits last night, and that's with Hood going over five, which almost never happens. Um, no, that you know, offensively, they're doing everything they need to do. Uh, defensively, they're doing everything they need to do. When they go out and pitch well, they win because the other two parts of the game are, are, are pulling their weight. Well, Jay, specifically with the offense, it feels like Max Marshak has completely, finally been the player we expected him to be. There was some chatter early in the year about him continuing to be in the lineup. This, uh, does it feel like an I told you so moment for Coach Deggs for sticking with Max so long? Well, you know, I don't know if, if he looks at it that way because I don't know if he pays any attention to any of the things that other folks have been saying. You know, he's believed in Max from the time he got to campus. Uh, and he was going he was going to stay with him. He sat him one game. And um, after, after Max, I think, had a three or four strikeout game, um, sat him one game and then put him back in the lineup. And uh, Max started to respond and – you know he's uh, he's getting it done now, but I, I don't. I wouldn't call it an "I told you so" movement uh, moment because I don't. I don't think Coach Diggs has any idea what folks were saying about it. Well, as you head into this pretty important series, of course, both of them are. But Texas State coming in a very good offensive club from last year. They were a little bit inconsistent, but they've certainly found it. Um, what do you expect the approach from a pitching standpoint to be now that? You know, Coach Deggs is, as he said, he's kind of retooling it week by week. Oh, I think you're going to see him do what he did last week. I think Nezu is going to go on Friday. I think Fluno is going to go on Saturday. I think they'll see how Jake Hammond is, if he can uh, give him a little bit on uh, on Sunday. But, no, I think I think he's going to do what he did uh, last weekend. And, uh, and we'll see if uh, that works. You know, Texas State, Levi Wells is a very good Friday night arm. He's probably the second or third best pitcher in the league behind Tanner Hall and maybe Xander Hamilton from Appalachian State. Um, I think that, uh, you know, when, when he's on, 
It's not easy to score runs against Texas State, you know, and they're good offensively, Dawson, but I got to tell you, they're not what they were a year ago because most of those guys are gone. Um, you know, they had just a just a nasty offensive club a year ago. Um, they're good offensively, but uh, but not as good as they were, which is why, you know, they're, they're sitting there right now, uh, you know, trying to jockey for position when last year they ran away with the league. Um, they're still a very good club, uh, but, man, that team last year was pretty doggone scary. Not quite as scary this time around. When you look a little bit bigger picture in the conference as a whole right now, do you think there's a clear-cut tier at the top with Coastal and Southern Miss and then everybody else, or do you think teams like the Cajuns, Texas State, Georgia Southern, do you think those teams are right there with the top two? I think they're right there. You know, They may not be right there this year, but I think from a program standpoint, they're all pretty close. Um, you know, I think, I think you mentioned five, and, and I think – it's five, and I think you got to add Troy to that because, uh, you know, last last year was Skyler Meade's first year. This year they look like a regional team. So those half-dozen clubs right now, and look, you want to add two more? I mean, Old Dominion and South Alabama aren't far behind, okay? So I, I think this is a league now that's going to get after each other each and every year. And a lot of times it's going to be how kind the schedule uh, is to you. The schedule was kind to the Cajuns this year, but they're going to have to go to Coastal next year, and they're going to pick up Old Dominion. Um, and so the schedule from year to year is going to have a little bit to do with it. But no, I, I think right now this this league is kind of the haves and the have-nots, but I only see three have-nots. The others on any given year could probably be first division teams. This is going to be a fun, fun league as we go down the road with it. We're talking with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. It's such a log jam in the standings from the teams that are like third all the way down to 11. As it stands right now, heading into the final two series of the regular season, do you feel confident that this Raging Cajuns team will do enough to be able to get into the conference tournament, and do you think they're going to do enough to be a top-six seed, Jay? Well, I think in order to be in the top six, I mean, answer to the first question is yes, I think they're going to be in the tournament. In order to get in the top six, I think you need to split the last six games. I think if you go three and three, I think you're going to wind up in the top six. If you do any better than that, uh, you'll be even higher. If you do less than that, you may have to play on Tuesday. Um, but I think three and three will do it. Uh, you've got, you know, three of the games at home. Um, is that doable? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, but not if you go out and walk eight and hit two. Let me ask you this. Let's switch over to softball. Conference tournament is this week at Lampson Park. I feel like this team has put together a good enough resume, especially if they make a run into the conference tournament championship to host a regional. But a lot of the polls, like D1 softball, doesn't even have this team ranked in the top 25. And it's curious to us, and we talked about it on the show, where a team like UCA is ranked, but the Cajuns aren't, and the Cajuns have a better resume, and they have a better strength of schedule, and they have a better RPI, no team 
that's ever been ranked in the top 11 in RPI has not hosted a regional, Jay, for softball. It hasn't happened. What's the likelihood that it could happen this year? Well, I think it happens if you win the tournament. I think you have zero margin for error. Um, you know, I there's a there's an old adage, I think, that folks who follow teams like the Cajuns, like, you know, James Madison or others, they think that the committee tries to do everything they can not to give those teams regionals or good seeds or, or whatever. I don't know that I, that I buy into that. What is hurting the Cajuns right now is their record against top 25 teams, top 25 RPI teams. Uh, I think their record against the top 50 is fine. That's really the only thing that's hurting them. And, um, but, I, but I also believe that right now, You've got 16 host sites, and I think the Cajuns are one of three teams fighting for the last two spots, uh, even, if, even if they win out. So you've got no, no margin for error. You, you have to go through the tournament, and the better the teams you play in the tournament, the better that's going to be for you. So they're going to open up against, well, you know, either ULM or, or uh, whoever finished ninth. And then after that, you're talking about a 4-5 matchup. Either one of those is fine. And then the title game, you want to, you want to play South Alabama. Um, those teams can help your RPI a little bit more. But, uh, but don't stub your toe. Uh, because I, I, I do think that if you do, the committee's got a reason to leave you out. Now, as far as the polls are concerned, I don't care. Uh, you know, polls are window dressing. Polls are for the fans. And, uh, you know, fans can get frustrated. You're not ranked to the top 25. And that doesn't mean anything to the committee. So it doesn't really mean anything to me when you get down to it. Well, Jay, we'll get you out of here with this. Uh, we've had Coach Glasgow on a couple times, and he's kind of hinted at the idea of hosting as a 15 or a 16 seed being worse than traveling to one of the middle seeds in these regionals. Do you have an opinion on um, whether you'd rather host as a really low seed, potentially have to travel to Oklahoma or UCLA if you win that regional, or would you think it'd be better to just host and try to win the regional considering uh, it's been a few years since the program's been to the Supers? Well, you know, my, my answer to that would be, well, how has traveling worked for the Cajuns in the last six years? And the answer is it hasn't. Um, I think you always want to host because you can't get – to, um, you can't get to Oklahoma City. You can't even get to Oklahoma if you don't win a regional. And every year, look at what happens. 14, 15, 16 teams all win regionals that are hosting. So you always want to host. You always want to host. And if people didn't hear it the second time, you always want to host. Now, I know, I, I understand the thing about, well, you know, if you travel to the 11 seed, then you only have to play a 6 seed. But guess what? You're traveling to those places and you're not winning. So it doesn't matter. You always want to host. And if you wind up going to UCLA, well, guess what? They had to get a base hit with two out in the seventh inning to beat you when you played them earlier this year. So, you know, go play. If you're scared, say you're scared. I'm not scared. Let's go play but you want to host a regional every 
single year if you can. And, Jay, you can't worry about the what-if scenarios in the next round if you don't get through the first round to begin with. Amen, brother. Brother, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy being on the call this coming weekend for the Texas State Series, my friend, and we'll talk to you next week, bud. I appreciate you having me as always, Caucasians. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you think RP3 is the only nickname Ray has? Think again. There was Little Vainant. There was Little Foot, Little Bubba. There was LD, which stood for Little Dufo. There was Ray Dog. There was Ray Diggity Dog. There was Fish. There was Fish Face. There was RP3. There was even Ramundo from El Segundo. Back to the host with more nicknames than he knows what to do with. RP3, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Some interesting stuff there by Jay Walker, the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and it's something that's been debated about. And, of course, our guy Kevin Foote has inserted himself into our show. I think what I really think is going on is that Kevin just wishes that he was here doing the show with us because we're getting to the point where he feels like he needs to be part of the show. I'd love to have for him to be part five of the show. Five hours of footnotes? Just five hours. Merge RP3 and company and footnotes into one five-hour extravaganza because I can tell you this. People go, how could you talk for five hours? Have you met Kevin? I mean, we could do a whole hour dissecting the 1986 NFL draft for the New Orleans Saints in great detail, by the I, way. I think there's times where he's talking where he forgets he's hosting a show. He just, he's just talking. He's just having a conversation. The way foot is on the air, by the way, for all of you who've, who, who don't know, the passion that you hear from Kevin on the air, the opinions, the way he breaks things down, the way he's like a savant remembering – stats about the Astros from the mid-70s or the Saints from the 80s. By the way, that's not a radio gimmick. That's Kevin. <laughs> so I just want to be clear here. That is our guy, footsie, all the time. All the time. But he does bring up this, this, this interesting thing, okay? Whether to host or not to host. The percentages tell you and the data tells you, the history tells you that if you want to make it to Oklahoma City, it's like 98%, right? It's some ridiculous number that you have to host a regional. That That's what it boils down to, that the teams that make it to Oklahoma City, take out the Oklahoma, which is the just dominant powerhouse that destroys everything in its path right? It's like an atomic bomb for softball. But if you want to get to Oklahoma City, the history and data shows you that you got to host a regional and win that regional. So I I get the argument of saying, hey, you want to host because of that. But then there's the flip side to the argument where it's like, well, wouldn't you want an easier path to get to Oklahoma City, right? But And I get that because, well, if you can beat a more vulnerable team, 
in a regional, win that regional as the road team, then that sets up a better matchup for you in the Supers. I understand that logic as well. But the history and the data tells you that's not the case. Right? So yeah. well, you're, you're kind of in this situation for the Cajuns. And if I'm the Cajuns, and let's say, right, you're the 15 seed and you host. Let's say the committee on Sunday grants Jerry Glasgow's team uh, Lafayette Regional as the 15th overall seed. And they get paired up with UCLA as the two, right? Because that's how that would work, right? The 15 would play the two if they win. Those, those regionals would be paired up. Well, to Jay's point, if it wasn't for a fluky play, you would have beat UCLA. So you should already have confidence that you can beat the Bruins, right? So you get to host the regional, set yourself up based historically on being able to get to Oklahoma City, and then you would face a team, yeah, UCLA is a great program, but you went toe-to-toe with them and you nearly beat them. And so here's another thing. I understand the logic about not essentially wanting to play Oklahoma. Correct. Because, because that is, look, they are the the, the, the gold standard of college softball They right are the unstoppable menace machine, yes. But, and the other funny thing about this whole conversation is they're not going to ask us our opinion. They're not going to, and they're not going to ask to that credit, they're not going to ask Jerry Glasgow his opinion either, the committee, I mean. Well, they're well, not going to ask Jerry Glasgow, hey, do you want to host? Well, if you don't want to host, maybe we can well, send you over well, here. What do you think about Baton Rouge? Yeah, well, but, yeah but we're, we're, this is sports talk. No, so, yeah, no, but I'm yeah. saying they're not going to ask him, so us, you know, the fundamental stance that Gla- Coach Glasgow has about maybe that wouldn't be the best idea, it's okay because it's not going to actually impact whether or not they host, is my point. But my other point is, even if, if you aren't awarded a regional host, who's to say they're not going to send you to the 15 or 16 seeds regional as the two seed? Because mm-hmm. in theory, you're going to be one of the highest ranked two seeds, and sometimes they like to, you know, they say they seed everybody. They don't really do it like that. It's definitely done regionally. But who's to say they don't send you to, you know, let's say if the 16 seed is Georgia. They don't send you to the Georgia Regional. And then you'd have to win that regional on the road and still get rewarded by playing Oklahoma. So like I, there, there's a situation in which you get doubly bad things happening to you. So I think just try to be a host, want to be a host. Now, the other good thing is like, it's, and again, Coach Glasgow is not the type of coach who's going to say, well, if we, if we you know, position ourselves correctly, maybe if, this, if we lose this game, we'll be, he's going to go out and try to win every game. And I think that's obviously the Correct. approach you need to take. And, and, and that was the approach to the scheduling to begin with, is that they wanted to help their RPI to host a regional. Now, the, the thing is, well, they don't have enough top 25 wins. No, it's not they don't have enough top 25 wins. Is that they don't have enough wins against the top 10, top 15. Because the majority of their top 25 games they played, by the way, was against teams ranked in the top 15. There's a difference. Look, I think this team is good enough to host a regional. And once again, we've talked about it. It's never happened where a team with an RPI in the top 11 hasn't hosted. The Cajuns are in the top 11. Their strength of schedule is four or five, depending on who you ask. By all metrics, if they win the conference tournament this week at Lamson Park, they should host a regional. By all metrics. Overall strength of schedule is now sitting at 15. Non-conference strength of schedule is third, though. Um, But yes, and they are ninth in the updated RPI. That's to this morning. So, look... Again, if maybe if, if they got stunned by Georgia State or UL Monroe in the first round, yeah. they could drop. But if they get past the first round of the conference tournament, they're going to probably be top 11. I do kind of agree with Jay, though. Uh, if you want the committee to hand you that host site, you're probably going to have to win the Sun Belt tournament. Because, you know, again, they just 
And I don't think it's a, a ner- I don't think they're trying to. But when the committee gets an opportunity to give someone else a host, and you give yourself a reason when you're a team like UL who dominates a smaller conference, they will take that Correct. opportunity to give it to someone else. I, I would I would agree to that that they need to win the conference tournament to host. But here's the other thing. I mean, we can talk about scenarios and argue about what's the path. We can talk about the historical data, or we talk about what Kevin says that. You know, he actually kind of agrees with Jerry that be on the road and, and kind of set it up that way, and that would give you an easier path. At the end of the day, it all depends on what you do on the field and if you execute and you win the games, right? So UL can prove that they belong and go against the historical data and numbers and the percentages by being a team that wins a regional on the road and makes it all the way to Oklahoma City. They could also be at home and win their regional and then win their super regional against a team like UCLA. All those all those things can be true. All those things can be true because at the end of the day, you have to go out there and win the games. Got to take a timeout. When we return, Toby Christie going to talk NASCAR. That's right, rubbing his race, and that's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Denny Hamlin won a race over the weekend. Did really well. Yet it was overshadowed because we had some Talladega Night fisticuffs afterwards. To break it all down and to give us his thoughts on the start of the season to this point for NASCAR is our buddy, the one we trust to talk, rubbing his racing, the one and only Toby Christie. Toby, good morning. It's been too long, brother. How are you, my friend? RP3, I'm doing well. It has been too long. How you been doing, man? You know, I've been living, man. I've been living, and I've been, you know, just trying to keep an eye on things, trying to look at NASCAR and go, hey, there it is. <laughs> With the fighting. I just, I, I like that kind of stuff. And uh, I'm, I'm old school. You know, I, I grew up watching racing where, Guys got into fights after races and got into shoving matches all the time. And uh, words were had, and uh, people weren't all that chummy with each other. It was a competition, and you'd run someone into the wall to win a race. And that's just how it was. So let's start there. Uh, Break down what happened between two guys who, let's be honest, aren't necessarily, uh, haven't necessarily endeared themselves to other drivers on the circuit. Yeah, yeah. So Noah Gregson and uh, Ross Chastain had a little disagreement on the racetrack uh, for real estate. Uh, it resulted in uh, Gregson, who's had a just abysmal rookie season, uh, going into the wall, uh, and which eventually cut his tire down and ruined his day. Uh, so he was running top ten on lead lap, uh, battling Ross Chastain's position. Uh, by the time the entire situation was done, he was five laps off the pace and finished 29th. So. Uh, you know, once the race kind of ended, it was kind of one of those things where you kind of forgot about that even being a thing because it just seemed like such a 
such a minor situation at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, no Gregson did not forget about it. Uh, so as soon as the race was over, he, he sought out Ross Chastain. And, you know, anybody who's been watching Ross has not made many friends at all uh, over the last couple of years on the racetrack. Uh, and Noah figured, well, I'm going to stop this finally. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to show Ross Chastain a thing or two. And, uh, and we'll end this once and, once and for all. So he goes over there, uh, confronts Ross, uh, and makes the egregious error of actually grabbing his fire suit. Oh, yeah. To which Ross is like, stop, stop. Uh, and Noah doesn't. And uh, so Ross decides, okay, well, I'm just going to get a punch in here. <laughs> and and there, there it is, by the way. Uh, current driver standings, Ross Chastain is number one, by the way. So the sport's best driver so far to this point in the season also gave another driver a good old knuckle sandwich. Uh, security was there, broke it up. Uh, what do we expect to happen from this? What's going to be the fallout here between this after-race fisticuffs in Kansas? Yeah, yeah. So like you said, security was there, uh, broke it up immediately as soon as Noah tried to, you know, Exchange a punch right back. Uh, <laughs> security guard in a, in a gold shirt uh, broke it up real quick. And, uh, I mean, that was about it. So, uh, as far as what happens after, there was no penalty. Uh, no penalties were issued. Uh, it's kind of a, you know, boys have at it kind of situation. And uh, we'll have to kind of see if uh, anything else happens from here. But Noah's kind of one of those guys that he doesn't forget these kind of situations either. Um, and he's been known to exact revenge on the racetrack. He's also been known to exact revenge off the racetrack. So um, I, I imagine at some point Noah will even uh, score uh, with Ross Chastain. Well, Toby, we could talk about the other parts of this uh, exciting season, but I have to ask you one more about the fight. Ross, of course, has had uh, quite a history with a number of guys, Denny Hamlin, uh, Martin Truex mm-hmm. Jr., and others. And there was a couple, there's a little, you know, video where it looks like Chase Elliott says somebody had to do it to Noah. Um, do you think the overall sentiment in the garage, because the funny thing is both of these guys, now I guess Gregson's issues have been more in the Xfinity series, but where do you think the garage sides in this story? Do you think they're going with, with Noah for what he did, standing up to the guy who uh, a lot of people have a problem with? I mean, I think at this point, yeah. I think everybody's on Noah's side because just so many people have an axe to grind with Ross. Uh, I mean, if you look at even this race alone, uh, Ross angered Kyle Busch at one point. Uh, Christopher Bell, even though I don't see anything Ross did wrong in the situation with Christopher Bell, Christopher Bell didn't seem very happy with him. Uh, Noah Gregson uh, wasn't happy with him. So uh, you keep adding these these enemies, and every time you do something wrong to one of these guys, they they make a mental note and these drivers are not stupid and they remember these kind of situations uh, and at some point it's time to to pay up for for something you've done wrong and uh you gotta imagine at some point uh ross chastain will definitely uh be paying some kind of a price down the line well let's go to the actual winner of this race which is denny hamlin and it's again it gets overshadowed a little bit because of what happened but hamlin kind of had an issue kind of dumped somebody at the end for the win himself so what did you think of the move Hamlin made, and um, are you surprised that there wasn't more emphasis on that move, I guess just kind of circumstantial with what happened after the race with the fight elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, the the big thing is 
For me, I think it's a racing incident. Uh, I mean, they were battling tooth and nail uh, for about 20 straight laps. Uh, Hamlin had gotten really close several times. Uh, obviously had the better car, uh, but from the from the low line that he was using, because Kyle Larson had the top line uh, locked up, uh, he just couldn't quite pull off the pass. So uh, I'm sure frustration had to be mounting at that point. Um, and I'm sure last lap of the race, you're not going to let off. If you're the guy running for the run, run a guy down for a win, uh, Larson made a mistake uh, off two, got into the wall, which slowed him down just ever so much, um, and they they came together. I, I don't think it was a thing where Denny was meaning to do that, and I don't think it was a thing where uh, Kyle Larson uh, was meaning to get in the wall or anything like that either. So it was just kind of one of those weird instances where you know Larson's car slowed and, and Hamlin was right there and they converged. So. Uh, the, the point being that, that Hamlin just got pretty much fortunate that, that Kyle made a mistake, I think. Well, big picture with Denny, you know, it hasn't been his best two, three-year run in his career. Um, once he became, uh, you know, an owner in 2311 Racing, and, and things just haven't quite been as consistent for him. But, of course, he's kind of known as one of the greatest drivers of all time to not have won a championship, and He's not getting any younger. Do you think that Denny's primed to make a big push this year, or do you think this win might be uh, a one-off in, in what's been a pretty competitive season? Man, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, his last win was Coca-Cola 600 last year, um, and so it's been you know almost a full calendar year, but he finally broke through one again. Uh, but you look at the races that are coming up, and these are all Denny Hamlin strong suits. Darlington, he's really good at, which is this weekend. Uh, Wilkesboro, uh, they did a simulation race uh, back during COVID, uh, or maybe it was the year after COVID, and he was the winner of that. Uh, he's really good at managing tires, so he should be good during the all-star race there at Wilkesboro. Um, and then, of course, Coca-Cola 600s right after that, and he won that last year. So uh, you've got a pretty good stretch of races here where, realistically, we could go through the Coke 600 and have Hamlin be the only guy winning these races. Uh, but with the next-gen car, we've also seen it's kind of hard to kind of get on a roll and be a guy that kind of breaks out and wins multiple races in a row. So uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him win every race uh, through the Cook 600, but I, I would also be surprised to see him win every race through the Cook 600. We're talking with Toby Christie, talking all things NASCAR, right here on RP3 and Company. want to ask you about a pair of Chevy drivers because it's uh, been a bit of a struggle bus this season for Chase Elliott and Austin Dillon to the best young drivers in NASCAR. What has ailed the two Chevy drivers? Well, I mean, for Chase, the injury uh, put him out for six weeks, uh, the snowboarding injury that broke his leg, uh, missed six weeks. And after a long layoff like that, it's really hard um, in any sport to just kind of come back uh, off the couch, especially with an injury to a leg like that where you can't be active and and can't keep – can't keep the blood flowing and then going out there and doing cardio and stuff like that. So when you come immediately back to a racetrack like that, uh, it's really tough. But I mean, I think if you look at how he's done since he's come back, uh, it it really hadn't been bad. His first race out, he finished 10th at Martinsville, 12th at Talladega, which Talladega, anything can always happen. Uh, So that's not really a determining factor of how he ran during the race. Uh, 11th at Dover and 7th at Kansas this week. So uh, he's getting the results. And I think he's actually on a pace to point his way into the playoffs if he just keeps doing what he's doing, as crazy as that is, because he was all the way back to 32nd in points when he came back. 
but I mean, he's, he's doing what he needs to do as long as everybody else above him keeps making mistakes. He might make the playoffs just on points. And what about Dylan? Yeah, I mean, as far as Dylan, I don't really understand. I can't really pinpoint the reasoning for why they're so far off because he's got Kyle Busch as a teammate who has been great this season. Uh, but often, Dylan, they do have a new crew chief uh, over there with Keith Rodden, and maybe things just aren't aligning there between the two. Maybe they're not gelling. Uh, it might also be a situation where we get to midseason and all of a sudden they start having really good results. But they did have uh, you know, a top-10 finish this week at Kansas. Uh, at Dover, they had the issue going into the the race weekend where they they crashed the the primary car, uh, and these next gen cars, the the backup cars, are not bullets like the like the primary cars like used to be in past uh, years because the they pretty much are just parts cars at this point, uh, and they just kind of scramble to put them together last second. So I mean, it was going to be kind of hard for them to have a good day at Dover. Uh, but yeah, I've been very surprised to see how poor of a season it's been for Austin Dillon. I want to ask you, we mentioned Denny Hamlin. He's a bit long in the tooth, right? But Martin Truex Jr. is long in the tooth as well. He's nearly my age. And yet, there he is, stands third in the driver standings. And he's 42 years old. And the thing that amazes me about him is that he has seemingly become a better driver late in his career. And I know you and I have talked about this before over the years, it's like, almost like a renaissance for him late in his career. And here he is. He's has got a great chance to win a cup championship at the age of 42. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, before last week at Dover, it had been 54 races since he won as well. Snapped a long win the streak. Uh, but, you know, over that 54 races, he had been really good and had a lot of really good opportunities to win these races. And something weird would happen every time. And, and frustration was mounting between he and crew chief James Small. Every time you listen to the radio, it was just like, man, they're going to kill each other. Um, but winning winning solves a lot of things. Uh, and he won last week. Uh, came out and finished uh, eighth this week at Kansas. Led 79 laps. Was one of the better cars. Uh, had circumstances shaken out one way or the other throughout this race. Who knows? Martin Church Jr. might be the winner of this one as well. But I do like what I'm seeing out of them. Uh, I think getting that win uh, out of the way uh, will help he and James Small kind of see eye to eye and understand that, okay, we can't win these things because uh, they've had some situations uh, over the last uh, couple of years. But uh, it does seem like finally they're starting to, to see the fruits of their labor of, of working together and, and getting this thing going. And uh, it looks like they're starting to really see some gains in the next-gen car. Toby, thank you for your time. Brother, it's always great to catch up. Tell the people where they can go to read all your great work, my friend. Man, you can go to tobychrisp.com. Uh, I also do some work with racingamerica.com as well. If you want to check me on Twitter, Toby underscore Christie is, uh, is where I'm at on Twitter. Thank you for your time, brother. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru. Oof. And I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. 
Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, man. I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Ron Higgins, the Mad Dog from Tiger Details, Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, of course, Toby Christie, NASCAR reporter, for joining us today. Final results of the poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week. That's what we do on Wednesdays here on RP3 and Company. Which of these is the worst? Dusting your bold crawfish, being offended by dusting crawfish, or not knowing who Jessica Alba is. 38% of you correct uh, picked correctly, not knowing who Jessica Alba is. 35% say dusted, boiled crawfish. 27% say being offended by the dusting. I will once again say it, and Dawson echoes my sentiment. We don't care about whether crawfish is dusted or not dusted. I prefer it not to be dusted, but it doesn't stop me from eating it, and I'm not outraged by it. So, there you go. Lots of cover. We covered a lot today. LSU got a win. The Cajuns dropped one in Ruston. And McNeese got a win on the baseball diamond. McNeese softball begins their title defense today. They will have first pitch scheduled for 11 o'clock at the Southland Conference Tournament over in Lake Chuck. STM will be on our airwaves today for the state semifinals. Pre-game begins at 4.45. First pitch is scheduled for 5 o'clock, and you can listen to all the action live right here on the game with Danny Jones being on the call as the Cougars look to try to win a state championship. It's a good show. We covered a lot. Baseball, NBA playoffs, food, the Saints not having to go play a game in London or Germany. Whew. Thank goodness for that. And, of course, the Astros won taking down the fighting MVPs and handing Otani his first loss. I wonder if Kevin Foote celebrated by putting corn on his rice and gravy and eating it while smiling after the victory. We'll have to ask him that. That's going to do it for us. For the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow, I'm Raymond Parts, the third better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9, but live from LSUE. That's right, RP3 and company on the road. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next.